This episode is sponsored by Farmer Nate's Hot Sauce. Go to FarmerNate'sSauce.com, link in the description, and get yourself some fresh hot sauce while you listen to this episode. You are now watching the best show in the universe. It is called The Anthony Rogers Show. You probably wish that this was your show, but it is not your show. It is The Anthony Rogers Show. Tell everyone you know to watch this show. Enjoy. Show in the entire universe. Uh, today we have a huge guest, uh, radio personality, former uh, Missouri House Speaker uh, Tim Jones. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I see we got the memo. We're both in the white shirt club today. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to step it up a little bit while talking to an actual politician. I felt like a t-shirt wouldn't cut. Like a, I had a Honda t-shirt on before this. <laughs> Thanks Later, for my- having me. No problem, man. I appreciate it, man. So uh, what was it like for like a layman or something like that, uh, being uh, someone that prolific in Missouri, like being a Speaker of the House and stuff? Like, what, what was that like? Anthony, great question. It's, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, unlike, uh, you know, unlike some politicians that we see uh, on both sides of the aisle, to be frank, I like never planned my whole life out that I was going to be like President of the United States someday. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I approached it more from the public service side, believe it or not. I, uh, my mom and dad were, are, thank God, I mean, they're, they're still with me actually, they're still here on this, this planet and, and they're doing great. And they taught me from a very early age to just like, thank God for your blessings and try to give back with whatever extra you have. Uh, my dad, you know, I learned at my dad's knee about the evils of Uncle Sam, you know, as far as like, taxation and regulation because my father's been a small business owner his whole life. He's a veterinarian by trade and he's uh, mainly retired now, but he did that. Uh, I'm really impressed. With my, I've always been so impressed with my dad because he grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in Southwest Missouri uh, until the 1970s. They didn't even have running water. You know, my mom, my mom visited the farm after college and she's like, okay, we're going to move to St. Louis now. You know, we're not living here. <laughs> and, uh, he set up his own practice. He, uh, he worked for a couple other people for a while. And then he was like, you know, I want to do my own thing. He was an, quite the, he's much more of an entrepreneur than I am. I, I take some risks, but my dad really just like threw it all in. and was like, I'm going to pursue the American dream. I'm going to build my own business. And he did. And uh, I, I don't know if my dad ever considered himself like, you know, a hardcore political person, but he knew uh, what it took to be a small business owner. And he knew how much government worked against that every single day. So that's where I got my, uh, that's where I got my fiscal discipline. That's where I got my fiscal politics. And so from my mom, you know, my mom grew up a big uh, Italian, German Catholic. And so, you know, she came from, of course, you you can imagine back in the fifties and sixties, working class St. Louis family. My grandfather worked for the brewery. Uh, They were old fashioned Catholic Democrats. Uh, until the party began leaving them in the, in the 80s and the 90s with this massive, you know, the all, you know we, we talk about the leftists nowadays. That all started when they decided that they, they had no room in their party for people who believed in life or the Second Amendment. So it's been a slow incremental shift to the left ever since then. And so my parents, you know, they always just instilled in me a sense of responsibility to the greater good, work hard, Take care of God, family first, and then if you can, take care of, of giving back to the country and your community, go for it. And so I got into public service uh, by always, 
I did community service from like an early age. I was, I went to Jesuit schools, you know, men for others and all that. And uh, always had a respect for that. And so I, I was always running for something, you know, even as a youngster, I had student council in grade school. I was on the student bar association in law school. And then when I came back home to Missouri uh, after uh, law school and I was a prosecuting attorney for a couple of years, I, uh, I tried to get into local politics in my little hometown of the great city of Eureka, the home of Six Flags and Super Smokers. And the old guard, nothing against them. They were just the old boy network back then. They're kind of patted me on the head. Yeah, that's, that's nice, Tim. We'll, uh, we'll put you on a board or something someday. And, and uh, maybe then you can run for office sometime. Well, I never did it. And so I got fed up. I was about 29 years old. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to run for alderman. So I ran in a three-way race and I worked my butt off. I, I went door to door like every good re retail politician does. And I got elected. So I was a city councilman for about six years. They were scared to death of me at first because I was this young whippersnapper lawyer. I ended up uh, earning the respect of my elders on the council and the mayor. Uh, they, they, they appointed me president of the board of aldermen. And then the state rep seat opened up. And again, I wasn't really looking for it, uh, but it happened. And uh, the guy who was in that position was uh, somebody people may still very well remember, a guy by the name of Colonel Jack Jackson, who uh, was my predecessor, uh, great guy, uh, retired Marine, uh, pilot, flew the, uh, flew the Harriers, you know, for Boeing, test pilot. And he was in the house for a few years, and then he decided to run statewide. He called me up. He said, Tim, I'm going to going to run. I told you to keep your powder dry. If you want to run for the seat, go for it. So I did. Got elected to the House in 2006. And I was very lucky. I had some excellent mentors. You know, you walk into the House and uh, there's not a lot of uh, institutional knowledge there because we have a term limited state and we could debate or discuss term limits, but there's just not a lot of institutional knowledge. You can serve up to eight years in the House. You can serve up to eight years in the Senate. So you quickly need to find out the people who have figured it out really fast. And I was really blessed and lucky. I had, I had an uncle in the legislature ahead of me from mid-Missouri, my uncle Kenny, Kenny Jones, former sheriff from Montauk County, Central Missouri, great guy. And this is a funny story. Uh, talk about uh, where, where things were and where they've gone. So in that class, in that legislative class, which was one term ahead of me, you had my uncle, Kenny Jones, and you had a, his fellow sheriff friend, a guy by the name of Mike Parson. How about that? So that was an interesting legislative class that I ended up serving under. They were my mentors, they were my friends, and they put me on the right path uh, to go into leadership. You have to make the right decisions very quickly, very early in a term limited state, because in Missouri, you've got four terms uh, in the house, and that's it. So. The minute you walk in, you better quickly figure out where the bathrooms are, and then you better figure out how to legislate. You better figure out how to raise money. You better figure out how to pass bills. You better figure out how to help out your fellow legislators. Uh, you better figure out how to protect and grow your caucus, because all those things then will help elevate you into leadership if you so desire. So it was nothing that I was necessarily seeking on the front end. Uh, a lot of people felt that I had the ability and the talent and the skills to do it, and I really found I always knew I was a Republican. I really found my conservative core during those early days because I entered the House in kind of a golden time when Matt Blunt was the first Republican governor of the state of Missouri in like forever. 
We had just taken the legislature back for the first time in 50 years. And then all of a sudden, two years later, our world got turned upside down. Matt Blunt decided not to run for re-election. Democrat Jay Nixon got elected, and so did Barack Obama. And it was Katie bar the door for the next six years as the federal government tried to do everything and the kitchen sink to states from Obamacare mandates to you name it. Yeah, it sounds like we're in a very similar situation right now with the same administration taking over again. It seems like the Biden, the, the Biden administration, whatever that is. Yeah, Anthony, uh, on steroids. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, isn't it funny that we can look back on the golden on on the on the happy days of the Barack Obama administration and say they only tried to ram through healthcare. See, they learned they they spent so much time and political capital on that that as bad as Obamacare was, it was the only thing they got through because they like obsessed over it and they worried too much about it. This new crew of radical leftist socialists, they've learned that you don't need to pretend to engage in bipartisanship. You don't need to pretend. You know, Joe Biden gave a nice speech on Inauguration Day that none of them probably listened to or cared about <laughs> because there's no unity. There's no, they're not even pretending. They're like, we want to do climate change and we want to do, uh, we want to do, um, uh, we want to screw up healthcare more and we want to enter energy independence and we want open borders and, you know, we want to raise taxes and we want to have spending to, you know, and hey, the Republicans kind of set this up for them with the spending, right? Our, our party hasn't been really good on that. So, but they took, they took billions and have turned it into trillions. So what they learned from the Barack Obama years was you only, you only may get two years. So you better do everything that you possibly can. And it could really permanently damage the country. Yeah, I think it definitely is right now. I think we're in a weird time. Like, uh, it's kind of terrifying, like, to be honest. And, and uh, I, I like your story, though, uh, on the positive news. I like your story, though, it kind of seemed like very, very Missouri, like, as a person from here, like starting from like the bottom, working your way up, staying humble, believing in God, the whole thing. I, I can see how you did well in politics, like, here, because, like, you, you just got that, you got that, like, very Missouri energy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, in a lot of things I do, uh, I, I say jokingly that I'm a, uh, I'm the yin and the yang. I, I, I've, I've got this, not, not, not in a clinical medical way, but I've got this like dual personality. I'm a Gemini, first of all, okay? So uh, my birthday's uh, coming up in May. And uh, so I'm a Gemini and I've got two parents, you know, that, that couldn't have been more different. My dad grew up, as I mentioned, on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Southwest Missouri. My mom grew up in St. Louis. They met at Mizzou, very Missouri story. And so I come from, I live in Eureka, you know? Uh, it's become much more suburban now, but you know, back in the day when I was growing up, Eureka might as well have been the hinterlands for St. Louis. And so when I went in the legislature, I, I was able to work with people all across the state. And I didn't know how big Missouri was. You know, I've lived in Missouri most of my life. I went to school for 10 years in New York, survived, <laughs> remained a conservative. Uh, there's actually conservatives in, in New York, believe it or not. There's, there's, they're just outnumbered, you know, and, uh, I had a great time in New York. Uh, great. I, I am, my heart breaks every time I see New York City on TV now. I spent 10 years of my life there. I got a lot of great friends. It is a great city, even if it's run by lunatics now. I mean, it was run at one time by George Pataki and, and Rudy Giuliani, right? Two, two great Republicans. So, you know, I, I just, it's a shame what's happening in New York. But, you know, with the exception of that little stint 
where I kind of went on a missionary trip. Uh, I came back and I've, I've been part of Missouri. And when I went to the legislature, you know, I was able to draw on the experiences of, of my father and his life and of my mom. And so, you know, I could, I, I could talk to the city, city folks, Republicans or Democrats, talk to the county people, and I could talk to rural Missouri because I actually knew where food came from, you know, because my dad had the farm and the family until very recently. So I knew that food didn't come from Walmart. You know, it actually came from the ground. And it, took, it takes a lot of hard work to be a farmer. I have a lot of farmers in the family. And so you're right. You know, I was able to draw on a lot of different experiences. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like a ready-made politician. You know, I didn't go to politician school. I, uh, I, I didn't major in political science. I'm actually a, uh, I'm actually a uh, English literature uh, Russian studies major. You know, so I'm a puppet of Putin, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a plant. But uh, no, so I did that because back back when I was thinking about going to law school, they're like, ah, major in whatever you want. And, and, if, and if I could tell if anybody out in the audience now is like thinking of you think you want to be a lawyer, it's a great profession. You can do a lot with it. You can you don't have to you don't have to practice law. You can you can be a famous commentator, radio personality. You can be a politician. You can start a company. But law school is good training for a lot of things. But one thing I would do if I was back in undergrad preparing to go to law school, I would take some business courses. They don't teach you how to run the business of law in law school. They just teach you the theory and the, the analytical skills and all that. But uh, I would tell people to do that, you know? And so I, I've got a very a little eclectic background, but uh, you know, came back home and just, I, I started off by wanting to serve my community um, and wanting to give back. My first job, I was, my, first, my first official career was in public service. I was a prosecuting attorney in New York. And I came back, went in the private sector, but I felt like something was missing. I felt like I needed to help the people more in, in general. I've, I've always been kind of a, uh, more of a populist Republican, you know, kind of Trump before Trump. Um, not a big fan of, I'm not a big fan of big anything, big government, big media, big tech. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of us on the right side of the spectrum can come together with people on the left uh, you know, people like Bill Maher, who are just as concerned about the attacks on our First Amendment as I am. And I think that's where we can have an alliance, a holy, a holy, not an unholy alliance, but a holy alliance of, of people who believe in freedom and liberty against this very autocratic, authoritarian, I don't know where these people came from, this hard left. It's always been in the country, you know, it kind of dates back to the the uh, the Marxists, you know, and that that ideology that came over here in probably the 1800s. But I don't know how they've gotten this. They're selling really good snake oil, I guess, uh, to the to the younger masses. I'm sure our education system last 20, 30 years hasn't helped, and uh, here we are. No, it's definitely crazy how they got this much power. Basically, just like uh, you just cry and call everybody racist, and somehow you, you're a policymaker now. I, I, it doesn't, I, and, and I get that there's actual victims, but I think it actually discredits from actual victims and actual racism when you call everybody racist. It's like the, it's like the boy who caught, cried wolf, but with racism, it's just kind of insane. And, and that's all they can do is cry and complain. It's like almost like, like Trump united the left almost because they had, they had a common enemy, like their perception of a common enemy. And then basically when they, there's no Trump, they're, they're almost going to scatter because there's no, like, I don't really see him like, like the new, there's almost like a blank spot in the internet and media without Trump right now. Like it just feels empty. Like, like, like Joe Biden can barely complete a sentence. I mean, I, uh, there's no like strong leaders. There's just like, it's, it's just like a weird time. Like we don't have, we don't have that person to love or hate. I mean, like regardless, you had it. I mean, everybody has an opinion on Trump, regardless of who he is. I, most people are just bored to death with Biden and like, they don't, they don't trust him and they're bored to death. Like, yeah. Uh, you, you've obviously noticed the vacuum 
and I would imagine most uh, most uh, Americans have as well. And you can tell how much they miss Trump. He's been out of office now for nearly 60 days. And this past weekend on the Sunday talk shows, which I watch, so nobody else has to, so I can tell people what, <laughs> what the lunacy is going on. They keep bringing him up. Like they miss the guy so badly, you know? It's like that crazy uncle, you know, that you love, you know, but you know, you want him, you know, for the, so for the media, right? So for the media, Trump was the crazy uncle that shows up every year at Christmas. It's like from a Christmas vacation, right? And lights the Christmas tree on fire and, and the cat in the process. <laughs> and, uh, and he's crazy and, and you just want him to go home. But when he's gone, you want him back again. And so that's how the media was with Trump, you know, and, and we, we love the crazy uncle, right? On our side, we're like, that's the best guy ever because he's blowing stuff up. I love that Trump blew up figuratively Washington, DC. It needed it. it and, and that's why so many people voted for Trump who either may have never voted for a Republican or may never have voted before. He inspired a whole generation of new voters. And Anthony, that's why the left was so terrified of him. They were like, holy crap, we just lost our voters that we have given so much Kool-Aid to and snake oil to over the last 50, 60 years that we just take them for granted, right? The blue collar working men and women of the upper Midwest, the ones that Hillary Clinton can't stand, oh, those dirty miners, you know, uh, those people that that, that cling to guns and Bibles, right? We've been, so we've been called bitter clingers, deplorables, and Neanderthals, right? They, th these folks who are now ensconced in their ivory tower of the newly refurbished Capitol building in Washington, DC, uh, with a fence, razor wire, and the military around them. I mean, it's, it's, literally, a, it, it's literally the Hunger Games come to life, isn't it, right? Not they're up there sense. and they're quite, they're up there in their fancy clothes, their $1,000 suits, $2,000 pants suits, their coiffed hair, their staff, and their military guards. And you, you pan the camera over 100 yards in DC, and you'll see what's really going on. You'll see the reality behind the dirty, the dirty underbelly of what they've done to DC. It's boarded up. There's homeless encampments everywhere. They don't even take care of the people in their backyard. Uh, DC up to two years ago, I can tell you it was a really fun place. I, I, uh, I was with a company until about uh, last fall for like six or seven years. I got to go to DC all the time. It was a blast. Uh, one, of my, one of my cousins who worked up there for Homeland Security, she got out, thank God. They moved down to Charleston, back to one of the free states. And uh, she said, you know, Tim, DC is just Hollywood for ugly people, you know? <laughs> so, and they all love being called your honor and all that stuff. But, you know, DC is a disaster now. Uh, it has been set back to 10, 15 years. Everything's boarded up. The, all the small businesses have left. I guess all the big, again, all the big stuff, you know, the, the big hotels, the big restaurant chains, they're all still there. They'll, they'll eventually reopen. But anything mom and pop, small business-wise, is probably gone. You know why? Because nobody's there. Uh, they, they, they've, they've declared that the, the DMZ of America. And, you know, uh, I got a buddy who lives up in Arlington. He's a think tank guy I work with. And he's... <laughs> He always, when I have him on some of my radio shows, he's like, well, here I am phoning in from the land of make-believe, 64 <laughs> square miles surrounded by reality. So it's, it's a real shame. It's a real shame what the, what the left is doing to this country. They're authoritarian fascists, and that's not Pollyannish. That's not hyperbolic. 
It's the truth. And look what they're doing. They're basically saying, you know, people like Don Lemon, who are part of their propaganda wing, literally said today on a major cable news network, whether anybody's watching them anymore or not, because they can't talk about Trump anymore. He literally said, basically he said, screw the Republicans. We don't need them. Screw the filibuster. Let's just do everything we need to do. That is authoritarian. That is fascist. That is one party rule. That's what they do in banana republics. Oh, definitely. And Democrats have a long history of just being ridiculous. I mean, creating the KKK, fighting for slavery. I mean, they, they have a, and then they're always like, that's the old Democrat party. They're always like that. Like, 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 and then they, they just, I don't know, they're insane, really. It doesn't make any sense. If you don't do your homework at all, the left seems like uh, they actually do seem good to young people if you don't do homework. Like, like they, they, they virtue signal and they do all these things. They're like, like uh, we care about people, but then, but like Republicans don't like them because they don't, they're bad at policy. All we care about is policy. I feel, I feel like you're pushed, to the, you're pushed to the right if you care about policy, basically, if you, uh, or if you're censored. I mean, that's how I became a Republican, I think. I, I grew up with like the Bush era where I, Bush was kind of a, a down period for the Republicans in my, in my opinion. And then, um, and then Obama kind of with all the drone strikes and stuff. And then like uh, Trump coming out, I became a Republican after that. I feel like, uh, like more so because I saw like an independence with the party and I, I kind of liked that. And I think that the Democrats also didn't like Trump because he shut down, uh, he's trying to shut down the border and that's where they traffic all the humans and drugs and all that. They're, they're fucking with their business basically. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. I think they're like, it's just like, if you don't do any homework, they seem, they seem good. But if you just start paying attention, they just don't at all. And that's why I think Republicans are always older. I think you don't see a lot of 20 year old Republicans. You see a lot of like 30, 30 year old and plus Republicans. I feel like. Yeah. I love what Trump did to the party because <laughs> the media can say whatever it wants. It can lie like it did uh, about uh, Trump's call to uh, the secretary of state's office down in Georgia, which was completely blown apart. Uh, huge, huge bombshell. Should have been a bombshell. The first bombshell was complete fake news, absolute, complete, made up uh, fake news. So, you know, what Trump did the Republican Party, which was real news, is he expanded it, right? They, they, uh, you're right. They're, they're so good, the Democrats, I guess because they have no problem. I, I, I just, I can't just sit here and lie with abandon, with no remorse. And they can. They're, they're best, most, um, uh, they're, they're impressive, maybe in a bad way. Uh, they're sure. notorious, though, with their ability to lie and, and do it without blinking an eye or with apparently uh, 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 any regret whatsoever. And so they just throw around, like you said, everything's racist, everything's sexist, everything's misogynistic, everybody's a xenophobe. And you're right. They take the policy positions and call them that because they don't want to debate on policy and they can't. Because they don't have any. So, right. And so how can you say with a straight face that Trump was bad? Um, for the Republican Party or for expanding the Republican Party when to this date and time, he is the Republican president that has gotten the most African-American votes, the most Hispanic-American votes, the most votes he expanded, more women voted for him. I mean, he expanded the tent in such a good way. And, you, and now you're seeing that play out beyond him. Uh, the firsts, right? Tim Scott. Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, is the first black senator ever to come from South Carolina, Republican or Democrat. You know why? Because the Democrats, who claim to be the party of the downtrodden and of minorities, they had a, they've, they've had decades to elect uh, a, a, a black Democrat to the U.S. Senate, and they never tried. They never did it. So Tim Scott did it. You've got Burgess Owens, right, the NFL superstar, uh, Super Bowl winner, Burgess Owens. Um, from uh, the Raiders, who just got elected to Congress from Utah, 
right? A black guy from Utah who used to be in the NFL. I mean, what a great American story. And he says that he had to come to the same – he had like a how, – how cool is that that him and you, what you just told me, very similar story to what Burgess has told me. He's like, look, I kind of grew up and didn't really know what I was. And my family was like small C conservative. They had the values. They were pro-life. You know, we believed in God. We, we, uh, we, we believed in freedom and liberty. And I suddenly realized, well, that's the Republican Party. The Democrat Party has been promising all this stuff to black people for 50 or 60, 70 years. And they've, never done, they've never done anything with it. They've been, they've been waging a war on poverty and just making it worse. So you're right, though. We, we, it took Trump with his persona and his gravitas and his bully pulpit and his Twitter feed which we can love and hate at the same time, right? But what he did was he finally broke through all, he smashed through all that, and he got to so many minority groups and said, they've been lying to you. And I don't know, and I don't know if we're going to do better, but we're, we're sure going to try. I'm going to try, and I'm going to try to drag my, the party along with me. No, I definitely agree. And it's just crazy. Like, I, I, I mean, I fell for the hype at first Tuesday. Like, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I like his temperament. I don't know if this, blah. And I started seeing what he did, what he was doing, like, uh, like shaking the hand of Kim Jong-un on his own soil. I mean, that was, that was heroic, man. It ended the Korean War to Koreans. It was, it was like, that's been a war that's going on for them forever. Like, we, we didn't, we don't even remember it really, but like uh, my grandparents do, do but uh, and then I was just watching other things he was doing. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow. He's like, basically, Trump seemed like a good guy with like words that people didn't like sometimes. He had harsher words, I guess, where Democrats have good words with terrible terrible policies and ter- like, like they, they have, they're the opposite base like we'll say we'll say like more fucked up things i think i think republicans have a more of a less of a filter i guess because i'll say i'll yes. say whatever and I'll, I'll say whatever words they tell me i can't say and i'll probably say them more because they tell me i can't say them and then and then uh like just the kind of person i am and then i think that they'll say they'll they'll act like they're just such good people they're like oh don't say don't say this word or this word or this word or this word and then and like, and then they're just insane. Like they're literally insane. Like, like it just doesn't make any sense. And all their towns are slums. Like every single Democrat town's a slum at this point. I mean, they ruined St. Louis. They just completely ruined St. Louis. I mean, it's just it's disgusting to me. It, it really is. And look at look at uh, back to your point about words. Um, Trump learned to beat them at their own game because you're right. Democrats have this knack for like, and again, it goes back to the problem that they have no remorse. They have no they have no they have no conscience. When it comes to lying so they'll call an orange an apple and convince you that it's a freaking apple you know and they're good at it and like like okay let's use hr1 this horrible bill where they're going to try to federalize elections and basically uh legalize ballot harvesting and same-day registration basically and, and and abolish things like voto id which would protect the electoral system of one man one woman one vote so they call it like the People's Act or something, you know, or the the, the, act, the People's Freedom. And so they do that. So what did Trump do? First thing he does is his campaign motto is "Make America Great Again." Who can argue with that? They they hate him to this day because they 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 tr- they've tried to turn. So they just call it MAGA. So they've made MAGA literally a four letter word, you know, like like someone saying shit or fuck or whatever. They've they've made that a f- they've made that their four letter word. But when you say the phrase, which I always do when I'm on the radio, I'm like, I'm like, you, you truly are going to argue that, to make America great again. Well, when you say it wasn't great? Well, there's plenty of times it wasn't great. There's plenty of times where it slipped. And so from that point forward, make America great again. That's what he did with everything else. He learned to wordsmith and beat them at their own game. 
But unlike them, to your point, where they just like say these things and then they do the opposite, uh, he actually tried to make America great again. He tried to be like, look, you can't be a nation. There's no nation on earth that has our open border globalist policy. Even these nations that you, you lefties love do not have open border. Mexico doesn't have an open southern border, so why should we? So we're going to do that. We're gonna, if, you're not, if you're not a sovereign nation with borders, then you're nothing. You're just, you're just a nothingness. You're just a pass-through country where people can come in, take what they want, and leave. And then eventually you run out of everybody else's money, like Margaret Thatcher used to say. And so uh, he did that. He, he said he was going to cut taxes, and he did. And he did it for everybody. You know? and, and the other thing they, do, they hate to talk about is that under Donald Trump, for the first time in like 30 years, the people who started benefiting from his economy were the, the working and lower classes. Their wages started going up. I'm sure the rich people got richer, because they always do. But for the first time ever, Donald Trump's policies were benefiting the middle class and the lower classes and the blue collar workers because he brought jobs back. And he, he made these big giant, back to the bigs again, he made the big corporations, he made it painful for them to do business anywhere other than on American soil. So, so, many of what he, so much of what he was doing was working. That's why they had to get him out of office. And it's so funny, like you and I get yelled at now because we say things like, well, I question the elections in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan, and we get yelled at and called seditionists. But Time Magazine, you probably saw it, Time Magazine, after the election was all over and done, they wrote this big article about how there was this like secret effort between the, the left and big corporate America to do everything they could to essentially rig the election. They admitted it. Now, they didn't talk about it in the electoral fraud sense, but they basically admitted that they did everything they could to put the thumb on the, on the pulse, on the necks of Americans to convince them uh, that reality wasn't real, that all these great things that Trump was doing, and of course, the China virus uh, just added the gasoline to that fire, unfortunately. No, definitely. I think they used it as an excuse to like just take away more rights and like and like make it more shitty and stuff too. Like they used like a a tra It's like how nine eleven was used to pass bullshit legislation as well. It's like they used like a tragedy and then they're best at that. They're they're best at like using tragedies to exploit situations, and like it's just like a completely insane situation. Like how how anybody could think Joe Biden won the election without campaigning at all, and like while Trump was filling arenas like seven days. I, I mean, multiple times a day, seven days a week, just filling arenas. Like I mean, it made no sense. Like it it just doesn't add up. Like basic math, it just doesn't. Like, like none of that even adds up at all to me. Like, <laughs> it doesn't. And uh... <laughs> we're going to take a break for a second and get right back to the show. But first, you need to get some Barrel Brands beard oil. If you want a flawless beard like mine, I mean, it's, it's literally fucking perfect. If you want to go to BarrelBrands.us, link in the description, get some beard oil, and try to get a beard as perfect and flawless as mine. There's a great article on The Federalist that that analyzed exactly what you just said and it was like it was called something like the six weird things about the election that just don't add up and you know without uh, you know with without uh, I, I guess they were able to dodge the censors on that so they didn't get called seditionists and, and banned but they did it in a very careful analytical way and you come away from it going huh yeah there's really no way that happened uh, because you look at the you look at the laws that were improperly unconstitutionally changed, and you look at where they targeted. You know, I, I got my liberal friends who say there was no widespread systemic voter fraud. I go, you know what? 
I kind of agree with you. They didn't have to have it widespread. They did a surgical strike in six major areas, and they ended up pulling four of them off, right? The four that they pulled it off in were Philadelphia, Atlanta, Detroit, and, uh, and Milwaukee. And because they ran up the vote total in those four cities, they ended up carrying those four battleground states. When you, and when you think about it, it makes sense. Those four cities are notorious for being democratic corrupt machines, right? They've been, they have made jokes about Philly, haven't they? I mean, since the beginning of time. I mean, Philly, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, you know, Chicago doesn't help you because Illinois is already blue, no, no matter what, right? It doesn't matter. But you go into the purple states that I just mentioned and you run up the vote totals in cities that you absolutely control as democratic machines. And, you know, and then they added uh, Phoenix, which is scary to me uh, that, that we've potentially lost Arizona. That's troubling long-term. But, you know, they added Phoenix as kind of extra measure. And because I think they weren't sure about Georgia. And I put as much blame on the failure of the Georgia Republican Party as, as I do on the Democrats for this, because how in the world do you let Georgia go blue, right? They, they, they underestimated Stacey Abrams and her epic uh, orchestration that she put in and her voter fraud machine. And Brian Kemp, she made Brian Kemp and that Secretary of State down there, Raffensperger, looked like a couple of pikers, you know? She schooled them, she owned them. And, uh, you know, whether she did it, we may never know. We may never know how much fraud there really or really was not, but she beat them. And Georgia should never, I, I still don't believe to this day that Georgia's a blue state. I just think that the Republican Party uh, failed and that, and that there was questionable activities that went on in Atlanta. And so here's the lesson to state legislators. You know, if you control your state legislature, which Republicans actually do in a lot of those states I just mentioned, they do in Pennsylvania, um, you got to get your act together. I don't care how much abuse you take from the media or the left, you've got to pass the most stringent electoral integrity laws that you can. And, you know, Pennsylvania's got another problem. They've got an elected left-wing liberal Supreme Court. So you're going to have to run election. You're, you're going to have to I don't know if it's elections or appointed there, but whatever, whatever it is, you got to fix that too. We got to, Republicans have got to get back control of the levers of the rule of law. We, we currently have that in the Supreme Court, thank God, until they pack it. Uh, and I think that's on the table, court packing. D.C. is a 51st state's on the table. Um, this H.R. 1 is on the table. And all of them are going to cause permanent damage, whether we take back the House and the Senate or not in two years. Uh, and I, I would even settle with actual Democrats. I think I think I think the problem is the extreme left. You know, what I mean, like I, I think like there's there's a lot of good Democrats that have like good hearts as well, and like a lot of the voters are good people too. But it's like it, it's just like the extreme left's the problem, like the, like the witch hunt. And, and usually what's happened, I mean, even even what I see with like Silicon Valley is like basically they're gonna end up like fucking themselves over through through. I mean, because like whatever you give in this world, you get back. Like kind of you know. So it's like I mean like 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 today like I was I was banned from Twitter basically. But so so if you ban everybody from social media, who's gonna use it? 
Like, right. it's, gonna get, it's, it's gonna get to a right. point where you, it's like if you go to a grocery store and it's like no you can't buy bacon it's just like insane it's like it's like oh okay i can't buy bacon okay you know it's like it's just like an insane kind of thing and then like you're just getting rid of your customers really and then and then it makes people like me like think in my head like when i got banned from twitter i'm like okay i'll just buy billboards i'm gonna start marketing in real life harder it was like i, I was i got lazy with like like and that's just my own personal experience i i couldn't believe that they removed a sitting u.s president and everybody was okay with that. I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, they, they removed Donald Trump when he was still president. And everybody was like, okay. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people were okay with that though. There were people that were okay with that. And then and it shows the overreach of like technology and uh, I mean, every industry, every, every major industry is competing for power right now. I think like the corporations have taken over and they're not even hiding it. And, and like, these people are too scared to see it. Like they're, they're constantly like, like, you're going to die. Your family's going to die. Everybody's going to die around you. Ugh. You know? And like, and it's just like constant fear and it shrinks the brain. So they're thinking from a reptilian place and they're, and they're not thinking clearly. They're not able to. And like guys like me, I get I get adrenaline in situations like this. Like I only yeah. I only handle good situations, like in insane situations, like 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 normal situations. I'm a bomb almost. I, I wouldn't even care. I'm just like, oh okay, whatever, everything's fine. I'm gonna just like do comedy and tell dick jokes in a bar, you know, or whatever, sell t-shirts, whatever. <laughs> but but then when things get fucked up, I feel like I get thrown to. I'm a guy that gets thrown to the front. I'm just like, I'm like okay, fuck this. Like I'm not. If no one's saying it, I'm going to. This is insane. They're like this is insane. Yeah, it really is. And uh, you know, you're correct. There are sane democrats left most of them are out here in flyover country with us for sure in a lot of the red states in the in the free states as i call them and uh I, I i think to myself okay so if i'm one of those people do i like what's happening to the party no i don't because i hear it from them all the time i'm on the radio sometimes with them they don't like defund the police they right. don't like defund <laughs> the military they don't like uh all they don't like burning down urban America because that's where a lot of them like to live. Right. So I'm like, okay, are there not enough of you? Are you too scared? You, but you, you like, um, you know, I think of that congressman from Ohio who ran against Pelosi a few years ago for speaker, Tim Ryan. I think about him. I think about some others. I think about some right here in St. Louis that I do radio, uh, Jane, Jane Duker, some of the people that came from Mayor Francis Slay's administration, like Jeff Rainford, you know, old school Democrats. And there's some younger ones too. They're not all, they're not just all old. There's some younger Democrats. Uh, think of uh, Alderman uh, Jack Coder on the St. Louis City Council. He's a pretty normal guy. He's a businessman. He's a, he's a practicing lawyer. He knows what it means to sign the front of a check as well as the back. And I'm like, okay, so you've got to get a hold of your own. Stop, stop arguing with us. For a minute because we're really not the problem whether you want to admit it or not your party is being destroyed from the inside out because at some point you're right we see it in california so <clears throat> there's another glimmer of hope there are nearly two million signatures to recall gavin newsom well despite what gavin newsom just said today that's not two million members of the proud boys <laughs> QAnon, right? right and every racist in the land of fruits and nuts because yeah, he thinks only Republicans hate him. He thinks only Republicans hate him. He's right. like delusional as fuck. Right. There's not that many out there. Yeah, there's so, not. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you, Gavin Newsom, there's a lot of Democrats and independents that have signed that recall petition because I also saw a bunch of polling and he's way upside down. It's like 43% want to retain him and like 57% want to kick him out. Okay, 57% of, of Californians on a pro rata share are not proud boys, QAnon and white supremacists, you know? Yeah. It's an insane it, argument. It's an insane argument. You've done a bad job, dude. 
you, Cuomo, Whitmer, she, she gets to fly under the radar because she's in a Midwest state, but she's just as bad up in Michigan. Uh, she's the one that locked her entire state down, and then her husband was out yelling at people that he gets to use his boat because he's the husband of the governor, while nobody else could, right? So, so yeah, Anthony, I mean, okay, but but apparently you have to literally hit rock bottom like they have in California. California has major problems, and the only reason they can pretend they're, they're still doing okay is because they're just so damn big. They've got the If they were a country, they've got the fourth largest economy in the world. So that's what keeps them going. Their sheer volume, their beautiful landscapes, their great weather. But at some point, you know, you have people that you know, that I know, that my friends I have that have left California. And I used, I used to ask them years ago before it got this bad, wow, you really left Southern California? Wow, you, you were like, you had a house there and you were, had a job. And why are you here in the Midwest where like half the year our weather really sucks? It's either too hot, too cold, or too rainy, you know? Although I love our seasons, you know, days like today, I'm like, oh, good Lord, can we see the sun sometime? And they go, they go, Tim, it's not worth it. I love being here in Missouri. I love it. California was insane. The, the, the weather, the beaches, the palm trees, and, and the arid conditions, at, at some point, it, doesn't beco- it becomes not enough. The insanity overrules it. And it's insanity. It's like you, you can't walk into a restaurant without being confronted with some kind of virtue signaling about the the fish you're going to eat because it may contain fish stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they have those you can't even walk into a restaurant right now. You can't even yeah. walk into a restaurant right now, like at all. Yeah. You, well, yeah, that's right. Back <laughs> when you could walk into restaurants yeah. and like, you were told not to eat the fish because it may have fish in it, uh, yeah. you know? No now, you, now you can't even, unless you're the governor. And then you can go eat at the French Laundry, which I think is uh, $1,000 a plate. So there you go. Yeah, and people during like uh, people during bad times when when uh, when the politicians are not serving the people and not showing the best interest. I mean, that usually doesn't go too well. <laughs> like, I, I, like I, I'm in the county more than anything now because I I was living in St. Louis most of the time, and I mean I still have an address there. But like I'm in I'm in Wentzville most of the time. Like I, I could actually go to a restaurant and like and like people aren't making me dress like a surgeon and pretend like that stops the virus. It's just like insane. It's, it's, I can't I couldn't imagine being this stupid. Like I I just couldn't I can't even fake it. And I'm, I mean I was I was told I was free in first grade <laughs> or something, you know, and then like. And I remembered that, and I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not getting rid of that. No matter like how many people yell at me, or how if I can't even use the internet ever again, like who knows if this is my last podcast at, at the rate this is going because of like yeah. of how I'm getting banned. I mean, it's like insane. I can't post on Facebook. I can't post on Twitter. I don't even, ha- I can't even have a Twitter right now. They won't even let me make an account again. It's just like, it's just like I, this is an insane witch hunt. It's like it just doesn't make any sense. Like if you love God and you love America, you're an enemy at this point. And like, and like I'd rather serve God than big tech. So I don't care. You know, it's like yeah. at all point. Well, and that's where you hope that reality smacks people in the face and they, and they, and they wake up. And I think a lot of Americans have, we're going to see what's going to happen in the next election, but uh, where this will really come home to roost one way or the other. I, I still have hope in America. I, I, I still think we're a center-right country, um, as bad as it, it gets sometimes, because we get overwhelmed, right? We, we have only a couple outlets. We have outlets like this. We have outlets like conservative talk radio. We've got, you know, Fox News, depends on the program, Tucker Carlson, the rest of it, eh. Um, OAN, Newsmax, so you get, but, but think about the other side, these old legacy liberal media networks, and there's so many of them, and we just, people just get so buried with that crap, they start believing it, but then reality, I think, is the boomerang that hits you in the face, so like right, right before your face, you, you just said it, I, I can't go into a bar uh, if I'm over, well, for a while, you couldn't go into a bar at all in St. Louis County. 
But yeah. you literally, you could literally walk, if you wanted to, you could walk from Chesterfield Valley, which is in St. Louis County, you could walk across the Missouri River Bridge into the great free county of St. Charles, and, you know, 500 yards away, you could have a beer and a burger. And on top of it, and this is where I hope reality smacks people in the face, if you're paying attention, you notice that the COVID monster was no greater in St. Charles and in many metrics was less powerful because people weren't cooped up in their family units spreading COVID back and forth. They were out and about. They were living their lives. They were developing herd immunity. They were, they were not doing what Governor Cuomo was doing and attacking seniors in nursing homes, uh, like what Governor DeSantis did in Florida. Boy, the media, I saw a map the other day. It was so funny. It was the liberals' uh, view of, of modern-day America. It was a map of the United States. And because they couldn't remove it, so South Dakota, the great governor, Christy Nome, South Dakota was like grayed out and it said no man's land on it. And there literally was no state of Florida. Like it was removed. Because we don't, we don't want to pretend that that exists because Governor DeSantis did everything right. You know why? In the beginning, nobody knew what to do. But quickly we learned what to do. And the left, they realized they had Rahm Emanuel's don't let a crisis go to waste uh, axiom in their favor. Fear is a powerful motivator, and hope is not always a plan. But Governor DeSantis looked at facts and data, and he started slowly opening up Florida. Okay, did all right. Opened up a little more. Did even better. He signed an order saying you can't put sick people in nursing homes. Governor Cuomo did the opposite. So we start ignoring, if you're the legacy media, which unfortunately a lot of people hear because they're running around hither and yon, and Thank God CNN is finally out of the airports because that I think was an infection, a cancer on America for decades. And so you just can't have that. You can't have that daily brainwashing and propagandizing of America if you want people to know the truth. And so I hope that reality starts hitting people in the face, that kids can go back to school because as Rand Paul pointed out the other day, they unfortunately have a better chance of getting struck by lightning or hit by a bus than they <laughs> do of developing COVID and dying. That's yeah, a fact. No. No, for sure. And it's gonna be crazy because I was looking, I was thinking about like if Florida's open and the only one that has schools open, like Florida's gonna go from like 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 a, the, a joke of the nation to basically the only educated population. Yes. <laughs> it's just yeah. literally it's like completely insane and makes no sense. And like like I'm not saying that like maybe I, I'm not saying it's not a threat, I guess, but I'm saying like you'd have homeless populations dead, you'd have bodies stacking up. I've seen yeah. no sign of COVID nineteen other than other 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 than from a teleprompter reader and from graphics on television. I've seen no evidence of it being a, a threat. I know it's it's probably real, but it's 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 not an actual threat to society. Not worth yeah. uh, and and if it is. Wearing a cloth mask it has nothing to do with stopping a virus, and then shutting down the global economy, and and uh, and 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 making independent business is not a cure for a virus. <laughs> I mean, banning independent business is not a cure. It makes no sense. The Spanish flu, the Spanish flu, which we had in this country about a hundred years ago, to this day, as we see all the COVID metrics plummeting towards zero, you know, and hopefully, God willing, in a couple months, they'll be at a statistical zero. There, the problem is that. Once you have an airborne pathogen in, in the system of the global uh, e ecosystem, it never goes away. Ebola still exists, and that's freaking yeah. got a 50% kill rate. Uh, H1N1, yeah. all these things are still there, but they've been beat down into near statistical zero. But, but Dr. F you know, Flip-Flop Fauci, oh, my God, <laughs> put that guy away. He's convinced, he's convinced everybody for some reason that we should treat this airborne pathogen. It's COVID-19 for a reason, right? There were 18 predecessors, okay? 
And they're all from the same genus, species, whatever that they call viruses from. It's all from the same epidemiology. And he somehow convinced everybody on this one, we have to do everything different. Everything has to be done differently. The Spanish flu had a kill rate of nine times the amount of COVID. So in today's numbers, so what? We've got, got 600,000 almost died, which is horrible. But put that nine times is 5.4 million. Can you imagine? No, it's insane. That's something to maybe worry about. And we didn't shut the world down. The Spanish, and they were, they were very smart. In the night, in early nineteen, it was after the it was the industrial revolution, right? We had a brain. We were human beings. We were smart people. We were starting to invent crazy things, and they knew they knew it was a virus. And you you see a lot of the the old pictures. They had masks on and stuff when they were dealing with the sick. But you went about life, and we've done that with every. Now, if this had had an Ebola-like kill rate with this amount of transmissibility, then yeah, then we're living. We are we are living in real life. Stephen King's uh, the stand. That, then it's then it's here. It's happening. <laughs> I love it's that. The, book. It's into the world. Yeah, I read that one. It was really scared the shit out of me. But but <laughs> this every time this happens, we think, is this it? Well, we quickly learned it was not. But the the eggheads in their ivory towers in D.C. tried to convince us it was, and they still are to this day, despite the fact we see that it's not. It attacked. It attacked the most vulnerable. It attacked our seniors. It attacked the elderly. And in the states that protected them, more of those elderly survived. And in New York, where Cuomo did the opposite, they died. And so we, we, they decided they were going to use the China virus as a tool to try to control the American people. And I hope it doesn't work. I hope we continue to come out of this as we are. I think people have had it. They know how to deal with this one. We better get ready for the next one is what I'm saying at this point. And, and forget about this one because it's yeah. about done. It's crazy because, like, um, like uh, first off, I don't believe the actual numbers. So, so, so I think, like, but, but for the sake of this argument, I'm going to say the real. I'm going to say 600,000 people died strictly from COVID. Um, uh, but, uh, okay, so then look at down. Look at uh, more people died from abortion. Yeah. <laughs> more people died yeah. from heart disease. And, yeah. and, 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 like, okay, so people are still fat. Um, people are still killing babies. But, okay, but we can't, we can't die from COVID. We can just kill them. We can kill babies and die from heart attacks. That's fine. But it, <laughs> it, it, just, right. makes, it just makes no sense. And then also, like, uh, these people basically, the people telling me this are funded by people that sell products made by child slaves and slaves from from asia in the concentration camps basically and so they sell slave-made products and they're also trying to say they care about the health of people it's like it's just an insane insane inconsistent uh inconsistency i don't i don't see how like any like i just don't see how these people can even trick people into thinking that they know it's talking they're talking about other than through credentialism i think it's just the fact you put on a doctor coat the same way we're wearing collar shirts to to to, to not, like the same reason i put this on now like a piece of shit when i'm talking to a politician and radio host um they, they do the same thing put a doctor coat on and they're like okay trust me i'm a doctor and blah and, it, and doctors used to be good people it used to be a noble job but now they're pharmaceutical sales reps that's all they are they're pharmaceutical sales reps they want to sell you shit like this vaccine or whatever the fuck whatever the purpose of this is it, none of it makes sense none of it's consistent and 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 i never understood how eating in a restaurant was revolutionary during the civil rights movement until now i i, I never understood that i'd see him at a bar and there'd be a bunch of crowd of people at a bar be like yeah, i'm gonna eat here even if i'm black and i'm like i'm like today i'm like that's insane yeah. that they had to do that but now yeah. we're having like if i take a picture at cracker i took a picture at cracker barrel making fun of people i'm like have fun at your house I'm, I'm gonna eat a badass breakfast i just woke up at 2 p.m i'm eating breakfast right now and like uh and, and like that got like 300 likes a bunch of shares and, and like people need this right now they need they need we need to stand in numbers and then peacefully just get out of this it's insane this our exit strategy should not be 
violent. It should be peaceful. And then we just get out of this. And we're like, raise the bar, stop being scared of bullshit, and learn how viruses are transmitted clearly. And then learn about bacterial pneumonia, learn about not breathing your own exhale. It's, it's like, what the fuck is anybody doing? It's, it's like, literally, I did nothing forever. And then I'm smarter than people. It makes no sense. Like, I, I literally just smoked weed and played video games for like 20 years. I, I literally did fucking nothing. And, and somehow I'm smarter than people that claim to be doctors, claim to be fucking experts, claim to, and, and they'll just yell science. They're like, science, but science. I'm like, yes, that's a subject. What in science makes you think that this is okay? Explain what, uh, what in fucking science makes sense. It's like me just yell math or something like that. It sounds smart. It's like, but math, math, I'm math. You know, it's like, it's, it's not an argument. It's basically just like a lazy attempt at manipulating people. That's what it seems like. Well, and, and you're right. And the ones, the ones that did dare, <laughs> right, the ones that did dare to speak out, the, the brave uh, men and women in the medical profession, the, the, the real scientists, the ones who approached this in a, in, a, uh, in a way that was like, okay, so epidemiologists, that's one thing. And that's all that Fauci is worried about. He's worried about one thing. And so if you're worried about one thing, then you're not worried about human beings as a total. And so when you have people like the, uh, the three infectious disease experts that created the Great Barrington Declaration, right? Brilliant scientists, brilliant researchers. A uh, couple of them, I think, are Indian American, right? So even so for the left, they check a bunch of boxes, right? They're minorities too. Yay. You know, and so these guys and women get canceled because they're not promoting the narrative, right? Yeah. So how do you argue with with the folks who wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, which basically says what this disease really was. They figured it out. They gave us the roadmap for how to deal with it. And it did not include locking our kids in their rooms for a year, telling them to learn on a, you know, did, didn't we always used to talk about the horrors of too much screen time? And yeah. now we decided it's okay for our kids to be chained to a computer, to a laptop for 10 hours a day. And some kids can't learn that way. So they decided, Tucker Carlson, uh, a few months ago, he came on. He said, I have a horrifying news story for America. People die. That was all he said. <laughs> right? People die. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And not just from COVID. Right? So the, the media, the Fauci's of the world convinced us that somehow we magically transformed into immortal human beings. But our only kryptonite was this thing called COVID-19 that we could prevent from getting to us if we just stayed home or didn't shop under certain hours, or only went, we could go to the grocery store because that was COVID free, but we couldn't go to the bar and grill right next door because that was infested with COVID. So no they convinced us of all these false realities. And instead, we didn't listen to people who said, look, like Scott Atlas, like the, like the men and women who wrote the Grantian Declaration, look, they admitted highly transmissible disease that is dangerous for certain categories of human beings. But for others, it's not. For kids going to school, it's not. For able-bodied, healthy Americans that don't have lung problems and have good functioning circulatory and respiratory systems, it's not. The, other, the rest of you may have to take some degree of caution. And I also agree with you. And the final analysis, which I don't know that we'll ever get, I would love to see, number one, the excess mortality rate. How many people actually died in excess of COVID last year versus anything else? I'd also want to see who strictly died of COVID versus complications from associated with got in a car accident and happened to have COVID, you know, right. fell, fell out of a window, 12 stories and had COVID, you know, blew up their backyard barbecue pit because they weren't using the propane tank properly and had COVID, you know, that kind of stuff. And so 
again, they, they refuse to talk about the side effects, what it's done to our economy, what it's done to the next two generations probably of our children with how far behind we are the rest of the world now as China's gotten everybody back to school. And you're never going to convince me that this wasn't a dry run from commie China for the real deal that may come down the pike someday in the future until you show me it in black and white. You know, when we, when we can't properly investigate the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was in the middle of the city where this came from, right? And the guy that goes in there to investigate for the WHO is on contract with the Communist Chinese Party. I, really? Do I, I, don't even, I don't have to be a conspiracy theorist because it's right in front of me. And, 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 you, and we just don't want to be told. We don't want to be – we have our left-wing media that you know, you know, plugs us into the matrix tube and tells us, you know, forget about this horrible reality around you. It's not really happening. No, I agree. And like, uh, if you, the only loop I found in like, uh, in the internet not being censored is when I Google uh, South China Sea, and you actually see how fucked up things are getting on a global stage. I mean, you basically have France, you have Germany, you have Taiwan, you have Vietnam, you have the Philippines, all getting their navies ready. And it's, it's looking like it's going to be a world war from my perspective. I think, I think China's about to be checked and it's about to be the world versus China because they're trying to take over the world and they got too greedy. They, um, like, you know, Hitler had two fronts. Well, China just tried to create 196 fronts. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and, and, and they're yeah. fucking idiots. They, they think because they have, they have the most people that that matters. But I think that the, I mean, it's not going to, I just hope to God it's not a 15 minute war where we just nuke everybody. And um, I, I hope that we can check China before they, we're, we have to learn Mandarin and fucking pretend, and pretend like God's not real or something, you know? Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah. Insane. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, all of our uh, best allies around the world are absolutely just as terrified as we should be. And we know we're told, you know, because Joe Biden's family has enriched themselves to the tune of millions or more, uh, we're told not to worry about it. But as you just said, Japan's worried about it. You know, uh, South South Korea is worried about it. Uh, India and Pakistan uh, are, are worried about it. And if they were honest, I bet Russia's worried about it too, because uh, Russia's economy has just been obliterated over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years due to the fall of. Uh, you know, it, it's facade. Uh, you know, but we're told to worry about Russia, which has the economy about the size of Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. And yeah, I mean, keep an eye on them. You know, they've got nuclear weapons, right? But they're not insane. You know, I, 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 like I said, I study the Russian people. They're a proud people. They're an autocratic people. They're nationalistic people. But they're not insane. You know, uh, the North Koreans, they're, they're leaders, the leadership. It's a bit crazy, but he doesn't, you know, Kim Jong-un, he just wants to sit around, eat caviar, and, you know, probably mess with hot chicks all day. I don't think he wants to blow himself up, but there are some insane people in the world, uh, and there aren't some insane dictators, and those are the ones we need to be worried about, and as far as China goes, they've got this, somehow, while we were screwing around over the last few decades, worrying about American Idol and reality TV, and now we're worried about the gender of Mr. Potato Head, you know, Bill Maher had this great uh, soliloquy the other night, you know, and, and it's a scary thing when Tim Jones and Bill Maher agree on something. And he said, you know, the Chinese are laughing at us right now. Bill Maher said that. He said the Chinese are laughing at us because we're worried about how woke we are instead of worrying about whether our military, not, not whether our military has the right uniform cut to size, cut to fit, but whether they're ready to fight a war. And if we've got women generals who are ready to go in and kick ass, put them at the front of the line. I'll follow, you know, I'll follow them into battle. I don't care who it is. I want to know, are you prepared for war? Do we have the best fighting machine? 
or enemies that we really need to fight. Not everybody, right? I, I, the older I get, the more libertarian I get on this issue of not being the world's police, policeman. But if we need to be ready to go, I, I, I hope we are. China is dead serious. They are dead serious about being the world's largest economy. They're dead serious about having the world's largest army, navy, air force. They're dead serious about getting into space. Isn't it amazing how far they've come from a third world country to knocking on the door of being maybe the biggest first world country. It should terrify all freedom and loving people everywhere. And we've just been asleep at the wheel, you know, worried about all the other things I mentioned about instead of worrying about this. I think uh, I think the Nazis made the same mistake. I think that um we we were in a Great Depression during uh, pre World War II. I think that um we were all just getting drunk and being idiots and stuff. And I think that we're kind of in the same situation right now. And and we're all arguing with each other over dumb shit. But nothing makes an America unite faster than having a common enemy. I, I, I when we could stop ripping on Democrats and stop ripping on like whoever else. I, I guess my perspective at least. If we can stop uh, ripping on each other, and as soon as like we people can see that China's a threat, we're just gonna beat the fuck out of them. And, and like and like I I I, I wish a mercy. Like to be honest, because it's not the people fault it's the chinese communist party's fault but I, but i do think that like um there's nothing worse than underestimating america and there's nothing worse than like uh like uniting america and i, and I think if we don't fall for the civil war ploy the divide and conquer tactic of that i think that they're fucked i think literally they're fucked be like we have a billion indians on our side we have we have Euro the european union we have hopefully russia we have like i mean we have the entire fucking world 195 countries versus china and like and and, and i don't i don't wish it will, but I, but I do think we should stand our fucking ground. And I'm not learning Mandarin, and I don't think anybody else should. <laughs> I, 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 unless they want to. <laughs> yeah, you know, at some point, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at some point, the rest of the world, and I, I'm sure smart people in all the countries you just mentioned are already are aware uh, that the alarm bells uh, should be going off. And I'm sure they are in some of these lands because, you know, these people want to keep their sovereignty. You know, uh, Europe has learned uh, about the dangers of unchecked, unmitigated. Uh, immigration, and others have as well. And they're like, you know, France is like, oh, crap. We still want to be France, and Germany still wants to be Germany. Russia wants to be Russia, and it's, it's a common thing. You know, America's the great melting pot, but we've, just, we've decided we're going backwards now. We've decided that segregation's cool now. You know, the elitists yeah. in our country have decided literally segregation's cool. So, yeah, there should be hopefully something uniting all, all this, which is like, whoa, you know, the Chinese, uh, the communist Chinese, the communist Chinese leadership is an oppressive regime. Hong Kong went from one of the most freest places in the world to now being taken off the prosperity index, right? So there, there's your, you don't have to look any further than that. You know, Hong Kong used to be shining example of freedom, liberty, and capitalism uh, connected literally to China. And now that they have allowed, been allowed to take it over, boy, didn't that happen fast. And now they've had just an, an epic downfall. And uh, it's it, it, because, who's, because of the guy who's at 1600 Pennsylvania right now and his family ties, you know, we're not discussing this from the bully pulpit and that's where it needs to be examined. No, it's insane. And I feel like I could talk for nine more hours, but I think this is the longest podcast I've done. And I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate taking the time. I would literally talk for five more hours if I, if I, uh, I could upload the video. <laughs> Like if it would still upload, but um, uh, check out Tim Jones. Uh, he's a uh, wake up with Springfield. Tim Jones. Uh, Google it to find more information. Also, the Tim Jones Show on ninety seven FM Talk. Uh, it's an uh, absolute pleasure to have you on here. I'd love to have you again, man. Um, you're a brilliant, man. I, I wish you continued success and like thank you for taking the time, man. Anthony, I love what you're doing here. You know, with the radio, I do. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of shackled to the clock a lot, and this was wonderful to have. I love the long form interview and the podcast feature. I love what you're doing. It's so it's such an important part 
of the dialogue and the discussion. I hope a lot of people see this and keep it up. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing fine work here. Thank you, brother. God bless you, man. Like, yeah, you too. This episode is possible because of sponsors like Pogo's Peppers. Go to pogospeppers.com. Uh, it's a small batch hot sauce from Ryan, New Hampshire. Uh, they use fresh ingredients, no artificial preserves. And their sauce is made with only the great stuff. So go to pogospeppers.com, link in the description. Get some hot sauce and support your favorite podcast.